CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell on this Monday. I am in New York City again on the road, but that will not stop us from putting forth our best foot. Right, Raj? We're ready to go. I feel like you've been practicing those reads at the beginning. Like, you're getting much sharper on your at-this-hour and updates. Like, you might have a career here as an anchor. Taking my craft seriously, sir. You know what? I got sick of, like, fumbling (laughs) and bumbling, so now I actually read them before I have to read them, so I don't stumble as much. There you go. It's the, the hard work is paying off. Just nice. like your MBA career, you're starting to put in the work, and now all of a sudden it's starting to pay off. We're starting to see the dividends uh, go there. Uh, we got a big show, college football. We saw um, a change in the AP poll. I don't want to hit on that. There is a new team ranked number one, and I think deservedly so. Uh, we want to get to that. There's also breaking news out of the NFL. Some breaking news. I don't know how big it is, but Kenyon Drake, Miami Dolphins running back, has been traded to the Arizona Cardinals. And, Raj, for me, for this one, it's like another – just the Dolphins are tanking. This is they've made it clear, and they are uh, for sale. And if there's anybody else in their roster, I'd kind of be I wouldn't get too comfortable in my house. But Kenny Drake's another player that I really like. Minka Fitzpatrick was a player they sent to Pittsburgh. He was a more high profile player. But Kenyon Drake, another guy from Alabama, who I look at this Dolphins team, and I get that you want to accumulate as many draft picks, but they are losing a lot of good players. It's going to be a massive overhaul for this team next year. Yeah, I mean. Danny, I, I'm all for like the getting young and accumulating draft picks. And, but at some point, like there's got to be a line where if you have something young and relatively cheap and valuable, that that can fit into your plans going forward. Like you would make the case to scrap older players that kind of don't fit the window. But Kenyon Drake's not that old. Like Minka Fitzpatrick's not that old. Those are core pieces that maybe you could build around moving forward. You know what I mean? Like the whole fire sale thing, you know, I'm just out on the Dolphins. I was never a huge Dolphin fan, but. I just don't love the way they're throwing it in everyone's face like that. Yeah, clearly. For Arizona, it fits knee with David Johnson, health concerns. Not exactly sure where he is, but they need to add some depth of position. So uh, it's interesting to see this take place. It's not the biggest trade, but definitely worth hitting on uh, early in this show. When you look around uh, the rest of the sports world, were you aware that yesterday was the 19th sports equinox? Were you aware of this? Do you know what this is? So all four major sports, so you had hockey, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and NFL, all have games on the same day. How many of the four major sports did you take in? Um, Some football, some bad, three. Yeah. So, I, I, so you I did. You, did you catch? What was the what was the third? Because I know you watch some NBA and I know you watch NFL. Yeah, I'm baseball. Curious, now I'm dying to know. You did. So you, you flipped over the World Series. All right. Yeah, I'm proud I, of you. I caught so a few we, pitches. <laughs> All right, good. I caught some other things that happened during the game. We'll have to save that for another show, uh, as there was a little bit of controversy in that uh, as well. The the fifth kind of part that we didn't even get to talk about as far as major sports, because it's not considered one, is the sport of golf, which for the first time the PGA uh, Tour takes it on the road internationally where they're in Japan. And for the Zozo Championship, and who gets the win? None other than Tiger Woods. Raja, this is just the next step in his comeback where every single time we see Tiger take the course, 
At the end of last season, it just looked exhausted after the Masters win. I'm like, at the end of the season, I'm starting to think, man, he looks worn down. You know, is he going to be back? He left zero doubt. He is back. And I just, when you watch the way this season unfolds, I hope he times it out. I hope he paces himself. And clearly, I'm sure that's one of the things he focused on this offseason was looking at the schedule. How do I maximize it? How do I make sure I'm, I'm ready to go for the Masters, for the U.S. Open, the PGA, the new calendar, all the things we talked about last season? I hope he's got a plan in place, but so far it's working out close to perfection with the win and his opening event uh, of this season. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a, a pretty remarkable record, too. I mean, you know, I saw stats this morning about his 80, what is it? That was his 83rd win um, or 82nd win. And and the rest of, like, the top 15 players in the world today, all of them combined, like, have, like, 81 wins together. Like, it just talks about, like, how brilliant his career has been uh, over the, over the span of the last couple decades. Uh, what I would say about Tigers, there was, there's no one that wanted to be more wrong than me last year when we sat here and talked about, you know, maybe, you know, it was kind of coming to an end in terms of how he could sustain full seasons and he had to get back to the drawing board to be able to do that. And, you know, I, the fact that he came out guns blazing is, is super cool. The putter looked good and that's always kind of defined, you know, when Tigers at his best, the, you know, the putter is really hot and, I think the last putt of the round was kind of, it kind of captured like the whole tournament for him. He was on. Um, but it will remain to be seen for me, Danny. Like I want to be wrong, but you know, talking about laying a plan out, laying a plan out to stay fresh and then actually executing that and staying fresh are two different things, right? So it remains to be seen, but I'm super fired up and, and credit to Tiger. Like it's a fantastic uh, accomplishment. Yeah, and, and it's also one of those things where he had off-season surgery, so I'm sure he's feeling good now. You just wonder the wear and tear. Once you get going at his age, he's getting up there, he's closer to us, where all of a sudden it just yeah. starts it starts taking its toll. So it is a huge accomplishment for the 82 PGA Tour wins. That's now tied with Sam Snead as the all-time winner in the history of Tour. But that's not the record that everybody likes to talk about. It's not the, even the one that Tiger had set as his goal when he had the picture of Jack mm-hmm. Nicklaus up in his room and he kind of had that circle 18 majors. Three more to go to get that after he got the Masters last year. So that's something we'll be keeping an eye on uh, the rest of the golf season this year as we move forward. Uh, we talked about the sports equinox being the four major sports. One of them, obviously, was the NFL. And last night in prime time, a couple things that I took away from this game. Aaron Rodgers is never going to be out of the MVP conversation. He's so special. I mean, the play that he made when he was scrambling out and looked like he's throwing the ball away just when they needed it the most, and it just dropped perfectly over a defender and only the place where his receiver could get it. Just, I mean, there, the conversation is often Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Who's the GOAT? Obviously, Tom Brady has the resume, but outside of Patrick Mahomes, who, of course, we didn't see play last night because he was, uh, you know, shelved with that injury, Aaron Rodgers is one of the most gifted throwers of the football, athleticism, just natural innate ability to play quarterback than anybody in the NFL. Um, you know, because he's been injured as of late, like I kind of, I don't know that I forgot, but like it's like kind of what have you done for me lately? Um, watching him last night, you were like, oh, whoa, okay. And I don't know that there was a coincidence. Like, I mean, I don't know that it was a coincidence that he was, that he was out there like flipping the ball around because he had a few other throws that were just like, you know, little darts, little funky little passes. Like, I think that he took, like, pride in doing that, playing against Patrick Mahomes' team while Patrick Mahomes was on the sideline. Like, yo, young buck, check me out. Like, I'm still out here. Like, you witnessed that in basketball, you know, when Kobe's coming to the league, you know, first couple times they see MJ or, you know, you know, things like that where the old guard is trying to let the young pup know, hey, man, 
it's not your time yet. Like, I'm still here. I can still do this. Um, I thought it was pretty cool, man. He had some remarkable throws. Danny, what has been the difference? And I'm asking from the first three games or the first five games to the last three games in terms of his production, like the, the turnover to touchdown ratio is, is pretty good. Like it was six to one versus 10 to one recently. Um, but the yardage, like he's up over 70 yards per game more in the last three games. What do you see differently there in their offense? Well, I think it's a combination of things. One, I think we always assume that a new coach is going to come in and it's just going to click. I mean, I showed you that playbook from Denver. That's probably what Matt LaFleur brought with him to Green Bay, and he's trying to get Aaron Rodgers up to speed. So, first of all, the players have to learn the new system. Then the coach has to realize, all right, how do I maximize Aaron Rodgers' capability? How do I utilize this wide receiving core? How do I utilize this running back core? How do I maximize the talent that I'm given? So I think that's a process. So I think it's natural. The good news is when their offense wasn't quite as productive, <clears throat> they were still able to win games, right? <clears throat> the first game of the season, they won 10 to three. Like it wasn't real pretty against Chicago, but they get the win. Like that's the most important thing. The other thing too is the emergence of Aaron Jones as the running back. And I know he had over 150 receiving last night, but that's one of those tweaks that you see good coaches take advantage of. All right, we can run him, but let's see if you can cover him coming out of the backfield. You find ways to get the best players the ball in their hands. And that's really a credit to Matt LaFleur. So Aaron Rodgers deserves a lot of the credit. But also this coaching quarterback combination is a work in process that we're seeing get continually better throughout the course of the season. Formationally, they're getting guys in better spots where you're finding mismatches. So a lot of those subtle little tweaks that you see taking place are why this team is executing so much better than they were only you know five, six weeks ago. It's a process that takes place. Yeah, I, um, th- that's a good point about like it taking time to kind of develop. Um, you know, and Aaron Rodgers, I, I think you got to give him credit because when we came into the year, there were a lot of questions about his coachability, whether or not he was going to be that old dog that couldn't learn new tricks. You know what I mean? Like we really, we openly discussed that, whether or not he was going to be, um, open to allowing Matt LaFleur to kind of run what he wants to run and accepting of the new challenges that that might present for him. I think he's done a great job with that. So big credit to him. How did you feel about Kansas City? I, I left that game, um, and I'm not a moral victory guy, Danny, but I kind of felt like, you know, you could take something away from that if you were Kansas City. And I know Aaron Rodgers was brilliant, but through the whole course of the game, I felt like Kansas City and that defense uh, specifically uh, was really kind of up to the challenge. You know, they broke some plays on him, but they were really getting after him. And if they're going to have a chance when Patrick Mahomes comes back, you know, we can all agree that the defense has to take that step into the next level of defenses to pair with that offense that is already phenomenal. Yeah, I thought two things I took away. One, it was absolutely without question the right decision to sit Patrick Mahomes, even if he could have played, if he was 95%, why risk it in that situation? And Matt Moore proved more than serviceable as a backup. Like if they, I think they might have bought some time to sit Patrick Mahomes again. Like they showcased the offense can still put up points. They're not going to be completely inept, which you do see happen sometimes when you see, you know, backup quarterbacks come in. Matt Moore's played a long time. He was only brought in at the end of training camp, too. It's not like he's had a lot of reps, so they'll get better. But to you, the defense is better. And it was not that long ago we're sitting there thinking, oh, man, this Kansas City Chiefs team getting pushed around, getting bullied. No, they're not as bad as we made them out to be. They showed they got after Joe Flacco with nine sacks in that game. They got after, you know, Aaron Rodgers somewhat in this game. So, I think that was the takeaway for me. The Kansas City Chiefs are a more complete football team where they don't have to rely solely on Patrick Mahomes and they don't have to totally write off the defensive side of the ball. So I think it was a positive. Again, I'm with you. I don't like moral victories in this circumstance, but I think that's exactly what Kansas City should take away from it. If you're 
a team without your backup, I think you, the goal should be 500. Like you should, you know, you should go 500. If you can do that, you're in a great spot. Like the Saints are the ultimate example. They go undefeated without Drew Brees. That's perfect. But if you can go 500, then you're in pretty good shape. So that'll be something to see if uh, the Chiefs do decide to go without Mahomes and keep rolling with uh, Matt Moore. You want to see them get a win in their next uh, game out there. The other game that um, kind of took center stage in the afternoon slot, and this one was a bummer for me because I thought the Browns would give me more than they did. And they never kind of went away, but at the same time, the Patriots felt like they were in control the entire time when they got out to an early lead was New England Patriots, and they continue their dominance across the AFC for sure. Moving again to undefeated, they go to 8-0. It's only the third time in franchise history. It's their 20th straight home victory, uh, including the postseason. And they had four, uh, three forced turnovers against the Browns. Now, the one little shovel pass that Baker Mayfield tried that was picked off, that's kind of a fluky play. Now, that's a total of credit to the defense. I don't put that one on Baker Mayfield as much. You run it in practice, you shovel it. Sometimes it's blind, and the the last minute the receiver cuts across and it's caught. But other than that, I was kind of uh, so the Patriots. Yes, we know they're impressive. I was again finding myself let down from the Cleveland Browns team, which looks a little bit in shambles, uh, and it continues to fall apart. I don't know what the back end of the season is going to look like for Cleveland. Um, lucky for them, their schedule isn't the toughest coming down the stretch, Cleveland. So maybe there's some breathing room there uh, for the Browns. And while that's not Baker's fault at all, it, it stinks. It's his stat. Like, it goes under an interception, which sucks. You know what I mean? And that just continues the trend, um, yeah. you know, for Baker this year. You know, there are things that concern me about the Browns. Talk about the Patriots. Like, you know, what they've been able to do. Like, some of it is scheduled, Danny. But some of it is, like, it's the Patriots, man. They just keep doing it. And Bill Belichick with, with 300 wins, like, over the – like, that's over the course of, of like, you know, different players and, and, and different generations of players and being flexible enough to, to change your style and, and, and be able to keep up with times. And, and, you know, there, there's something to be said for all of that. But the Browns, it's the same things that give you pause, right? It's, it's turnovers. Yes. Um, but penalties, man, a lot of penalties. They're like the most penalized team, you know, in, 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 in the league. And I don't know how long, but, and those are disciplinary things. Those are, those are cultural things. Those are things that you work on and, 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 and you try to, you know, button up with you have a good coaching staff. If you don't think that you can live up to the hype as a team, at least we're going to be disciplined. At least we're going to go out there and not shoot ourselves in the foot. We're going to give ourselves the best chance to win. And they continue to do just the opposite of that. Um, the fourth down play, like the punt, um, not take a timeout. Then I'm going to, you know, take the five yard penalty, still not take the timeout. And then we're going for it after we were just going to kick it. Uh, you know, like it's just screams of dysfunction, Danny, and someone doesn't seem capable in Cleveland. I'm not blaming the players on this. I, you have to look at the top when there's this level of dysfunction with a team that has that much talent. Yeah. Freddie Kitchens, it does look like he's in over his head. Like, and that was the one thing that people kind of started to pick up on when they traded for Odell and they're like, okay, this is a really talented team. And all of a sudden, like a lot of people, my instant reaction was, I like this team for the Super Bowl. Super Bowl contender with that type. But then, like as the offseason kept unfolding, I kept backing further and further away from the Browns without seeing them take a snap. Just when you started to look at the most, you know, the head coach is really an important job. And they have been up and down. They've been undisciplined, as you mentioned. And now even after the game, there were some interesting comments from Baker Mayfield. He called out his own team said, hey, where there's a lack of discipline somewhere, it needs to start. It needs to start at the top. And you kind of feel, you think maybe he's talking about himself, but he also is talking about the coach. This is going to 
Uh, and I said this could be an absolute disaster if it starts to implode. You're starting to see that implosion where I wonder how this team handles it moving forward. Is there sort of a mutiny in the locker room against Kitchens? Are there factions that start to show themselves? Because that's what happens on a team that's really bad and starts to you know unfold this way, and they're immature. That's what this team is. They're very immature. So it'll be something interesting uh, to watch unfold as the rest of the season unfolds. The other thing with the Patriots going undefeated, they're not the only ones. <clears throat> as the San Francisco 49ers, they get to undefeated as well. Um, excuse me, they, they go to 9-0 on the season, beating up on the Carolina Panthers in a thrashing. That, to me, was a big like kind of coming-out party for them on the scene because I thought the Carolina Panthers were a pretty good team. They've been playing better under Kyle Allen. But the 49ers, led by that defense, I think they might be scarier than the Patriots because they've been doing it against better teams than the Patriots have. Um, I don't know. Look, if you give me all right. So first of all, it says the Niners' opponents here played their win percentage is thirty seven percent. That's twenty ninth in the league. Their remaining schedule is the <laughs> second hardest in the NFL. So maybe um, uh, New England is one of those couple teams that's had an easier path than them. But they both have red, relatively easy paths so far. That's not to take anything away from San Francisco. Um, I I really like the way you know they play. I like the way they they run the ball. Uh, I still. Danny, if I'm being fair, I I don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo is the that guy. Like I, they don't. When I watch their games, they don't seem to ask him to do too much, which is fine. Like I'm not saying you do when you're this good of a team, but I just haven't seen him like just straight take over a game, a la like Brady in his prime or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. But that's neither here nor there. If you made me pick which one of these teams I'm gonna go with. It's going to be the Patriots, dude. That's a no-brainer. And there are two reasons. It's Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Like, I'm, I'm taking what I know, right? Like, I, it's a remarkable story out there in San Francisco. I applaud it. Like, I, I'll tune in to watch your games. But you're making me pick between them and something that I've seen for over a decade. It's tried and true. I'm going with Bill and Tom. I would too. If you had me put money on one, I would absolutely go with Brady and, uh, and Belichick. That combination has been so good for so long. I'm with you on Jimmy Garoppolo. He kind of reminds me at this point, sort of like Dak Prescott. Like, if you put him in really good situations, he can absolutely win you, win you games. But we've seen Dak Prescott, what happens if you take away Ezekiel Elliott. We haven't seen it yet if you make the 49ers offense uncomfortable or if they're trailing in the fourth quarter because they've been so good on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm with you. I need to see a little bit more of Jimmy Garoppolo. In any case, it would be fascinating if these two teams did meet in the Super Bowl, 49ers from the NFC, Patriots from the AFC, and all of a sudden you see Garoppolo, the former backup against Brady. That would be a fascinating storyline to un- uh, unfold if it does occur, but we have a long way to go for that. As you said, the, the Niners, we're going to find out a lot more about them. The Patriots have a few weeks here where it gets tougher, and then it eases up on the back end. The 49ers, the remaining schedule is a gauntlet, including their division which is one of the toughest in the uh, in the entire NFL. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back to Kennell and Bell. 
Welcome back to Canel and Bell on this Monday. It's Monday. It's crazy. Uh, the weeks are flying by. Week 10 of the college football season is coming up upon us. Unbelievable. We're in double digits already. But as we look back on the past weekend, LSU gets a monster win against Auburn. They were, you know, Auburn's defense gave them challenges. Joe Burrow stepped right up. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, their running back, you know, goes over 100. They showed me they're able, they're capable of physically handing Alabama, which is going to happen in a couple weeks as they both have a bye week, Bama and LSU, before that game of the century when it should be one versus two uh, when they square off. But for me, that was yet another test that LSU kind of passed going into that game where their defense has been a little bit suspect, a little bit shaky, and they came up with a big stop that they wanted to. And then Joe Burrow, who is going to win your Heisman Trophy in 2019, Raj, I'm telling you, he showed to me some of his toughness that we've been talking a lot about his passing stats, but he took some shots in that game, didn't phase him one one bit. And that's one of my favorite things about any quarterback is anybody can do it when there's a clean pocket, guys are wide open, you can execute. There's a lot of guys that can do that. The great quarterbacks, when they get knocked down, when they're getting sacked a bunch, when they're getting pressures, it doesn't phase them one bit. And that, to me, what Joe Burrow is doing for LSU this season. Yeah, I you know, we talked about this when the season when the season started and you were projecting possible Heisman like uh you know, hopefuls and, and what their teams were going to do. And I, I don't know why, but I said LSU kind of is that one team that physically, when I look at them over the last few years, the type of guy that they get in there and the type of pro that they put out, they could match up with Alabama. The problem was that they couldn't ever really get it figured out on the offensive side of the ball, especially from the quarterback position. With all of that figured out, I can't wait for the game, Danny. Like there, there are very few games outside of hurricane games that I am like yeah. trying to figure out where I'm going to watch it, what I'm going to be doing, like how I'm not going to be bothered so I can rewind it when I want to. This one, I will be sitting somewhere to watch it because it's going to be fascinating. I think LSU has a real shot uh, to beat them, especially if two was compromised. Yeah, exactly. So two weeks, November 9th, 3.30 CBS, that'll be on. Uh, we'll all be in front of our couches to watch that one to see what transpires there. So LSU, with that win over Auburn, they jumped to number one in the AP Top 25 poll, which I don't have a problem with. LSU's resume has been fantastic. I have Clemson number one. I feel like the defending champ deserves that spot. They've continued to throttle their opponents. They had another big win against BC, but their schedule's killing them. They're saying, all right, who have you beaten? LSU wins over Texas, now Auburn, Florida. Like Their resume is really, really impressive. My bigger beef is who's at number two. So it's Alabama is two. Ohio State is third. That would be my issue. If you want to go who's looked the best, who has the best resume, then the number two team or even number one team really should be Ohio State, who throttled Wisconsin this past weekend. Another big test for them. But they have looked the part, the best team as far as execution, week in, week out. They've had the offensive side going. They've had the defensive side going. Special teams, any phase of their game, they have looked complete. And what's scary about them, because they were left out of the playoff last year, feels like Ryan Day has this team playing angry. They're on a mission. They're saying, you know what? We're not leaving it up to any committee. We're going to go undefeated. We're going to run the table. We're going to win the Big Ten, and then we're going to try to win the national championship. That to, that, to me, is the mindset that Ohio State has and they're playing with, which is a scary thought for everybody on their schedule. Yeah, I, well, I agree with you. If you're going to use the, the argument that the reason um, you know LSU is number one is because their quality of wins um, and the way they've done it, then, you know, Ohio State being number two is supported by that argument as well, right? Like, and that's not, you know, me throwing any shade at Bama or anybody like that, but Ohio State has had the better wins. Like, the Cincinnati win was a top 25 win. The Wisconsin win is a big win. Like, those are, those are bigger wins than Alabama's had. And to your point, they throttled them. Um, this year, Dan, you talk about your college football, um, 
you know, tournament slash playoff and the expansion of it. When I look at the AP top 25 right now and I get all the way down to like number five with the undefeated Penn State team and a seven and one Florida team at number six and Oregon at seven and one Georgia, um, at six and one, this is a year. And I don't know if it's because I'm just tuned in and I'm a prisoner of the moment, but this is a year where I feel like they could really use it because I feel like anybody in there would have a shot against the other one on any given night. I love it because you are going right where I wanted you to go. It's a, it is. And, and yes, there would be some years where Bama and Clemson look head and shoulders above everybody else, but it's college football. We see upsets happen all the time. We saw Wisconsin beat by Illinois, who was, you know, it was a 28 point favorite. Ohio, uh, excuse me, Wisconsin was in that game. Upsets happen as much. I think sometimes we assume way too much, especially in college football, like, Oh, they're that much better. There's no chance they're lose when Oklahoma was preparing and we were doing picks for this weekend and previewing games. We didn't think they'd be challenged by Kansas State. You know, we thought, oh, that's a game they'll win comfortably. They go there and get beat. We see upsets happen all the time. And even in those years when those teams do look elite and it looks like there's only four teams who are playoff worthy, we make that assumption. I don't think we can guarantee it. I think there's always at least eight teams that could go out and potentially win a national championship. And this year, especially, that field is looking deeper and I think at the top, yeah, Ohio State looks good, but I still can't wait to watch them see play uh, Penn State. I can't wait to see them watch Michigan, who all of a sudden we wrote them off not that long ago. They throttled uh, Notre Dame. I can't wait to watch them face off. So I'm with you, man. The, the 18 playoff is the way to go, and I think you're starting to showcase it this season. I mentioned Oklahoma losing there to Kansas State, and initially the conversation that comes out is up. This opens the door. The SEC is playing so well. Look at all the depth in the SEC West. You have multiple contenders. So the conversation always goes to the national narrative becomes, oh, this opens up the door for the SEC to have two teams in the college football playoff. If you're going to have that conversation, Raza, you have to start doing the same thing with the Big Ten because that division with Penn State now in the top five, Michigan getting better, Ohio State holding down that you know top four spot. I think it's as good as case as any for either one of those conferences. I don't think it's just the SEC. I think it's the Big Ten, too. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing before you before you just talked about it and we were on the break and I was looking at it and I was like, if you if you I mean, that's only fair. Right. And I get like traditionally and historically um, over the last, you know, I don't know how many years the SEC has been where it's at. But what we're talking about this year, baby. We're talking about um, this college playoff season and football season. And it looks like um, at least the top of the Big Ten has the chops just like the top of the SEC. So if you're going to open the conversation for one, I support opening the conversation for the other one. And look, the the Oklahoma loss, Danny, this goes to what we were talking about before. I know they didn't look good, and I know they lost. I'd still put them in there with a chance to beat most of the teams in the top ten in a one-game scenario. I I think they were off, right? They had an off day against Kansas State. Sure, there are probably some flaws in, in who they are as a team, but you can find a flaw in any college football team you know, outside of maybe one or two historically speaking. And so I'm not ready to write them off either. But in terms of the national championship conversation, I agree with you in the Big Ten having to have that conversation uh, about them just like you do with the SEC. A lot of people want to write off Oklahoma and the big picture say, oh, that's it, they're done in the playoff. I still think if they run the table and they win the Big 12 and that's their only loss is on the road in a game which they almost had an onside kick to come back, it was only by a touchdown, I think they're still in the conversation. People don't want to admit it now, but I think they're absolutely still there. I mentioned a minute ago just about uh, Michigan, you know, completely manhandling Notre Dame. Bad conditions. It was ugly. But that was a massive, really 
maybe it's one of the first signature wins for Jim Harbaugh when when one and nine was his record versus top ten teams. You have to start changing the narrative slowly. It's not going to turn around on one win, but that was a huge step in the right direction for the Wolverines as they manhandled Notre Dame. That was impressive. Um, why do I like? I want to be fair. First of all, this is semantics, but I don't believe it to be a job saver um, because I, I think you kind of talked about it last week where. You know, he's a Michigan guy, and they want him there. And, you know, I think it was a job secure, though. To your point, you need to start winning those games rather than losing those games, right? Like, you have to start, you know, bolstering the faith in what you can do there just a little bit. I don't know why, Danny, but the weather was so bad that I think it took away for the from the win for me. Like, it gave me an excuse if I wanted to have one for Notre Dame. Like, hey, man, that was just disgusting out there. Like, you could barely see the game even on the broadcast. Like, you know, it was soaking wet. And I do... For me personally, it took something away from away from the win uh, for Michigan. I think that's a shame for Michigan because on that day, I think they would have beat them in a sunny, like, 75-degree day. I think the weather affected the way I felt about that a little bit. Yeah, I think so, too. It definitely it was, it was not only uh, rainy, but it was windy. And I think that really helped Michigan because Michigan, they bring in Josh Gaddis. They bring in a new offensive coordinator to try to bring in a little bit more of a passing attack a little bit more 2019 schemes where a little bit more zone read, a little bit more flashy. Michigan under Jim Harbaugh wants to be physical, and I think they got away from that. But last this Saturday's game forced them to get physical, and that played right into their hands because that's, I think, deep down inside, that's what Harbaugh wants this team to be. So I thought it played right into their hands. But I do think it was a monster win. But you know what? When Ohio State comes to town in Ann Arbor and they play Ohio State in that rivalry game at the end of the year, which Jim Harbaugh is 0-4 against, that's what the season boils down to, basically, for the Wolverines mm-hmm. at this point with two losses. That's the one that would be, and I'm, I'm with you. I don't think, I don't think Jim Harbaugh was on the hot seat. I don't think he was going to go anywhere. I think that was all speculation and people want to write things, write articles about it. I think he wants to turn this program around. I think from that perspective, this was a big win as far as salvaging the season, possibly getting to a New Year's Six Bowl, like those types of things that matter. I think it went a long way in that one for sure. Welcome back to Kinnell and Bell on this Monday as we move to the NBA. The Golden State Warriors were a hot topic this offseason. The super team has been dismantled. You see Kevin Durant moves on to the Nets. You see Klay Thompson out for the most likely for the year, as that's what's been assumed by most in the national media. So they still have Draymond. They still have Steph Curry, who's an incredible player. But, man, it has been an un, uh, uphill battle for the Warriors early on as they get blown out by the Thunder after the game, listen to Draymond Green, Raj. Let's see if you can uh, if this sounds familiar. I would like to see us play harder. You know that that'll help a little bit, but the reality is we f-ing suck right now, and you know hopefully we'll get better. Uh, we'll continue working at it and try to get better, but we're just not that good right now. And that's I mean I, I don't know what better way to frame that for you or uh, tell it. You know I could try in Spanish, but I ain't really that good in Spanish. <laughs> That's really the best way I can tell it to you right now. All right, so Draymond never afraid to mince words. It sounds almost identical to a sound bite we heard from him last week when he's just like, we're not very good. He said it a little more emphatically than I just did. But this is a team kind of searching for answers right now. I mean, what are you are you seeing the same thing his? They're just not that talented? They're just not that good. I mean, you know, obviously Steph Curry, like I, I thought that he would come out and try to kind of put a stamp back on, like, you know, that MVP trophy, if you will. Um, but what I probably discounted in that was just how much Clay Thompson meant to Steph's offensive ability. Um, having a guy out there 
you know, that, that stretches the floor just as well as you do, um, creates more space for you to kind of operate. It doesn't allow a secondary defender at times to kind of pay attention to you if you're Steph Curry. So that I think there's some of that, um, the subtraction of, of clay from that equation of that, that original big three with him, Steph and Draymond. Draymond and Steph have to figure out how to play in his absence and they, and they don't really have, um, a whole lot else around him other than D'Angelo Russell, who's brand new to the situation, right? And he's a different kind of player in his own right. He's a really, really good player, but he doesn't do what Clay does. He's more kind of ball in his hand, um, you know, kind of hybrid. He's not just run him off of stuff and, and have him catch and shoot and, and straight line drive. And so they are on the fly trying to figure out how to get wins in the NBA. And that's not an easy thing. Um, you know, when, 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 when quite frankly, Draymond, is more of a, a a super high end role guy, like maybe the best to have ever done it in a role situation. Very complimentary, and does it? I mean, this is a compliment. Can check every single box that you want to have someone check in terms of you know complimenting the the stars. Um, and now he's cast into another light, and it leaves you in this weird space as a team. They just don't have enough other players, Danny. They have names that you wouldn't even know, like guys that I don't know out there trying to trying to help them win games and it's not it's not working right now so you got Draymond out there talking to the media and that's no surprise he's going to be out there you know he's going to tell it like it is every other time Steph Curry also spoke with the media this was a little bit more concerning for me from his comments honestly I can't even judge our offense because we're getting taking the ball out the basket every possession and getting you know giving them free throw attempts and all that type of stuff like it's just been been drowning on that side of the floor, so it's really hard to assess really what we're doing offensively because uh, we haven't been able to get in transition situations and the game is not at our pace. So jury's still out on that one. All right, so drowning there, not exactly any reason for optimism. As this team, you know, in the last several years, is a part of the super team run. Whenever they lose, it's ah, no big deal. Steve Kerr would get irritated, but you'd be like, yeah, they'll be fine. Now you're seeing some deep soul searching. Like this is, sounds bad. Do you think you could attribute to the just one side of the floor? Because I don't. I'm. I don't think this team is very good. No, we we completely discounted, um, at least nationally. I mean, it's the supporting cast that they had. Obviously, all the attention would go to Steph and and KD and Clay and Draymond. But we just completely, you know, underestimated or undervalued the supporting cast that they were working with there for the last four years. Those guys were all very, very good players in their own right. Some of them a little like later in their career, so they've accepted that role to try to win a championship. Some of them young players on the rise that wind up going other places and becoming good pros. But in either case, like we completely undervalued, you know, what they did for that team. And I would imagine somewhere deep down, maybe even Steph and Draymond and they realized that. Like man this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be without all of those other guys. Um, and so that's just what you're seeing play out right now, Danny. Like it's, you know, it's tough, man. Like it's like going from the penthouse and, you know, and, and like, you know, the bottom yeah. falling out of the stock market. And now here you go, man, you starting from scratch renting again. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just a tough thing and they've got to figure it out. And unfortunately, you know, for them, they've been the gold standard for a long time. The, the team that people have put a target on to try to beat and that's not going to stop just because they don't have KD and Clay. Like people want to whoop that tail. Yeah, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow, no doubt. Now these two players, both Steph and Draymond, have their critics, right? You know, people that say, hey, Draymond just being the role player, he's been overrated because he's been surrounded by great talent. Steph Curry, as far as 
hey, where does he fall in the pantheon of all-time greats? People say, well, he's just a part of a, you know, a great team, super team. He's a nice player, but he's not Hall of Famer, as you know, Michael Jordan took that shot. Totally disagree with our, but are you at all concerned that either Steph or Draymond's legacies could take a hit if this season goes as bad as it's starting off to be? Um, I, I don't know that the season is going to wind up being just a complete debacle. Like I've, I've, I've voiced, you know, my concern with them possibly, you know, not making the playoffs, but I'm not sure that it'll go that way. I don't, I don't know that Steph gets exposed, um, unless he just completely falls off the map, Danny, and can't put points on the board and can't shoot the ball and, and stuff like that. Uh, but Draymond, and it's not an exposing thing. Like I've, I, 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 Draymond can be an all-star, um, because he does so many things well, um, when you have all of those guys around him and that produces wins. You know, it's a different animal when you don't have a lot of help and now you have to take the ball and, and score points and be the, 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 the B player, um, that's expected to be consistently putting numbers on the board and, 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 and that is a role that he will have to figure out this year or the narrative may change. Like, so if I had to pick one, it would probably be the narrative around Draymond changing just a bit if they aren't able to be successful. And the only reason I say that is because Steph, uh, without KD has, has, was lighting up the NBA. Like when I played with Steph, um, or when I watched him because I was injured that year, but when I watched him, he was already doing that and they didn't have a team around him. Like he was already doing electrifying things where you were like, man, this guy's remarkable. And that was in the absence of anybody. So I think he can continue to do that. I think Draymond, though, if he doesn't figure out how to take that step up for them, the narrative could change just a little bit. Yeah, I think I hope it doesn't because, I mean, I think those, some of those legacies are already created and you don't want to take away from them. But I just know how people work. You know, I know recency sure. bias creeps in and people like sure. to knock them down. Uh, the Clippers are, are were also in action as they lose to the Suns. Before I get to the game and how bad their defense has been, have you seen the commercial with Kawhi and Paul George and Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. and the Terminator? Have you seen yeah. it? Are you a fan of the commercial or no? <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I, I don't think the commercial is fantastic. I don't know that it's a fantastic commercial, right. but I enjoy watching Kawhi because he always looks uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that was the, that was the takeaway for me. He's so shy and awkward. I think it makes everybody else awkward. Like I think it took away from Arnold. I can't, well, Linda, I can't forget her name. Uh, the actress who's in, uh, Terminator. But I think, like, they were all uncomfortable too. I do like the end when he walks away and his eye, his eye lights up like he is the Terminator. Uh, that was pretty good too. That being said, they did lose to the Suns. Um, they gave up, so now in the back-to-back games, they gave up 122 to the Warriors, now 130 to the Suns. Is this, like, when the Lakers lose, it's, oh my gosh, this team, what are we gonna do with it? Ah, maybe, like, we overreact. Why don't we do the same thing with the Clippers? I think, I think it's the LeBron effect. I think he gets more, criticism more praise more attention than anybody we've seen since Michael Jordan I think it's a LeBron effect and I think it's real I think that's why the Clippers maybe it's one of the good things for them that they can kind of fly under the radar in LA being the second most covered team even though they might be the better team yeah it's definitely the LeBron effect and the LeBron effect is huge in its own right and then the Laker effect is huge in its own right and you combine the two effects and you've got a super effect (laughs) so you've got the LeBron Laker effect in in full effect if you will um yeah, pe- people are going to knee jerk all year long to what the Lakers do. Like that is going to be a very, very volatile stock, if you will. It's going to be crazy. The Clippers, for whatever reason, um, you know, people trust that. I, I, I like their team. They looked fresher and younger, uh, and more enthusiastic than the Lakers did in, 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 
in uh, on opening night. But quite frankly, I think that game meant a lot more to the Clippers organization, not just the players on the floor. I think it meant more to the Clippers organization in the town of L.A. There was more at stake for them on opening night. So I kind of, you know, I said I'm not worried about the Lakers. They have some things to figure out. They have to play a different kind of way, I think, ultimately to be really good. But I'm not dropping my Lakers stock just because they lost to the Clippers on opening night, right? There were there was more incentive for the Clippers to win. The Clippers have some holes. And Joey and I talked about it off air, and Joey hit the nail on the head. Their interior D, while they are super blessed on the perimeter with Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, guys that can really get out there and guard you, right? Um, their interior D, Montrez Harrell, uh, Zubats and J. Michael Green. Like, there's no real rim protection there. There's no real physical force that's stopping teams from getting into the paint and finishing around the cup. And so, you know, if teams can figure out the recipe to do that, there is a soft underbelly of Clippers defense there. And so they'll have to figure that out. But that is a, that is a real, uh, concern for me about the Clippers moving forward. Um, when you play teams that can really hammer it, not just post you up. Because, you know, NBA doesn't really work like that anymore. But, I mean, just drive that ball and continue to put pressure on the rim and you don't have a true presence in there. Yeah, no doubt about it. And they're going to have to get uh, a little bit stronger in the paint, too, as well. Uh, looking around elsewhere in the NBA, Trey Young has been an incredible story. Of course, was one of the most covered players in college basketball. But you're looking at when he was at Oklahoma and you're saying, all right, what can this guy do? Will his game translate? I thought he was one of the most similar players to Steph as far as just being able to fill it from anywhere with range. All of a sudden, he's had a really impressive start through two games. He's averaging 38.5. Of course, we don't think he's going to average that throughout the season. But how impressed we are with Trey Young? And maybe this Hawks team is looking a little bit ahead of schedule. Are you buying into the Hawks in the Eastern Conference? My man, he is shooting from the logo. Like, literally from <laughs> one foot inside the the, the half-court circle. Like, that is silly range. Look at this. Uh, uh, step back. Oh, that's disgusting. A little luck off the glass there. But... Look, Trey Young was going to always um, need some time to acclimate to an NBA game. The smaller you are, um, the harder it becomes when you get to that next level and everyone's bigger, stronger, and faster. The the good ones and the great ones figure that out. Like, I don't. There are different timelines for that. But I always thought Trey Young coming in would translate. It was just going to be a matter of time before he figured out the speed of the game. Luka Doncic was different. Luka is 6'9". All right, he's big. He had been a pro for six, seven years already. Like he had acclimated to a pro game. It wasn't necessarily the NBA pro game, but a pro game size and speed. That was all new for Trey Young, and he's tiny, so it was going to take a minute. Um, but man, it, it really is translating. It looks really good. Am I buying the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference? Not necessarily. Like the Eastern Conference, I'll buy a lot of teams from the bottom half of the playoffs down. Could they be in that conversation? Sure. But could they win it this year? No. Um, but I think if you're a Hawks fan, like, that's great. Like, if you're going to get into the playoffs this year, Trey Young is going to, to look like it's really, really, um, something viable there. And you got a, a lot of other young pieces. Like, just making the playoffs is a huge deal for the Atlanta Hawks if they were to do it this year. No doubt about it. It'll be something to keep an eye on the back, uh, is the rest of the NBA season. How, what can the Hawks do? Maybe they'll be a surprise team, but I'm with you. I don't, I wouldn't take them as a contender over those top four teams, I'd say, uh, in the Eastern Conference. One thing, not on a rundown, I just, I made an observation this weekend as I was watching some basketball. Saw some Pelicans highlights. I saw Zion in street clothes, you know, as he's kind of, you know, coming back from this surgery. Dude, he looks thick. I mean, like, I, 
I am kind of worried about, I'm worried about it. Like, and I'm not saying the good thick, like 5% body fat that I'm starting yeah. like, he's got some baby fat on him. Like I'm a little bit worried of it. And I can totally understand like going back to the summer league when people are like, Hey, he needs to lose weight. Yeah. I think he might need to lose weight, but that's going to be a challenge when you're coming off surgery. Like you can't just go out and start running and doing cardio to keep the weight down. I like, I I'm concerned. I'm officially concerned. I don't know if you caught any of the shots of him. He, he just looks a little thicker than I would like. I didn't. Uh, but what I do know is if you give someone who's already thick or big boned, um, when, if they have to have surgery and they're not able to do, um, the cardio and all of the activity that, that keeps them in decent shape, like that's not a good recipe, right? So he will be fighting and the Pelicans, um, should, should be on top. I imagine they are on top of making sure that when he comes and he's able to start working out again, that he's not starting from scratch, that he's at least got a good base. Um, because that could jeopardize, like, you know, a lot more of his season. Welcome back to Kennell and Bell. As we finish off the show, we got to cap it off with some NFL news. As, uh, Joe Flacco was talking about yet another loss for the Denver Broncos. The season has been bad. And he said, you know what? I don't like the approach our coaches are taking. Take a listen to what he said after their loss. Well, I mean, come on. I, I, I just look at it like we're now a two and six football team. And we're like afraid to go for it in a two minute drill, you know, like who cares if you give the ball back to the guys with a minute and 40 seconds left, they obviously got the field goal anyway. And once again, we're a two and six football team and it just feels like we're kind of afraid to lose a game. Uh, it's third and five at the end of the game. Um, you know, it's who cares if they have a timeout there at the end or not, you know, getting in field goal range, isn't that tough? Uh, you know, so you're just putting your defense in these bad situations and, um, I just felt like, what do we have to lose? Like, why can't we be aggressive in some of these situations? That's kind of how I feel about a lot of the game today. Ooh, so he's calling out Vic Fangio, the staff, being a little bit too conservative. You know what? I think he makes an outstanding point. I don't love players that come out and challenge their coaches. I don't think you should do that publicly. But he's right. I mean, your season is. Like, what do you have to lose? And I think it sends a mentality throughout the locker room. If you start playing conservative and playing not to lose, that it just becomes a mindset. And then it's a loser's mentality. I think that's clearly something Denver's struggling with. And I give Flacco credit. He's at a point in his career he can do it, right? He's made a lot of money. He's at a Super Bowl. Like, he can do it. But he's right. Like, this team should take a approach like, hey, who cares? Like, let's go out there and try to win this one. Although coaches, especially old-school defensive-minded coaches like Vic Fangio, they're going to take the, hey, let's play it safe. Let's not, you know, let's, try, let's, let's take the safe road. And that's not the message they should be sending in Denver right now. Uh, of course, Joe Flacco is right. And what did stick out to me from that was him saying, like, what do we have to lose? You ain't got nothing to lose, bro, because you'd have made all your money. You've won your Super Bowl, and you can get up there and say whatever the hell you want to say. Good for you. That's what I took away from it. Like, I think that's really interesting, right? Like, when you get to that point in your career, I remember being a rookie, and I wouldn't have said anything about anything. Like, nothing. What, what do you need me to do? Go get the water? All right, I got it. What do you need? Uh, when I got late in my career and I knew it was almost over, but I would say anything I felt like saying, Danny, there was a, it was like liberating. What, what do you want to know? I'll tell you anything. I, I wish I, I never got comfortable with that place because I never was either really entrenched as a starter. I never really had made enough money where I was in a place where I was like, ah, screw it. Who cares what happens? You know, I was always like, Hey, I don't want to screw anything up. So I was too cautious. I wish I had the freedom to talk like that because there would have been a lot of games. I would have let it fly and let the coaches have it. So it's a really good place to be in. And you get great, great sound bites in that position. So good for Flacco for calling out his staff in that spot. Uh, the other bad news for the uh, NFL in general is J.J. Watt. I don't know if you saw the play. He had a sack, comes up, celebrates the sack a little bit, and then 
like starts looking at his pec, torn pec, he's out for the season. So a bummer is JJ Watt, his career, his really later in his career, he's been, you know, defined by injuries as that's a tough loss for the Texans. But Deshaun Watson continues to impress. I saw the highlight play where he gets kicked in the helmet, keeps his eyes downfield. Have your boys watch Deshaun Watson. Anybody who wants to watch a quarterback play, watch him for sure. All right. We'll be back tomorrow to react to a Monday night football game. It's going to be crappy, but we'll still talk about it anyway. See you tomorrow on Kennell and Bell. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.